girl. Hey, girl. Girl, as promised last week, this one is super gay. It's real gay, you guys. It's real gay. <laughs> Which you know I love. I know. Me too. But happy Pride, everybody, by the way. It's Pride Month. Oh, God. It is. I, I, I mean that. I'm saying that with a sad tone because. <laughs> what if you hated Pride Month? <laughs> Can you imagine? What if they were like, the true colors come out? No, right. my the true colors are, you know, they're like no brunches and no marches for me to go to now. I you know. know. You know what else I have in my heart? You have a pride flag in your home. You know what I have in my heart? Julian <laughs> Pensavale. Patrick Hines. Ba-da-da. Glitter. <laughs> Glitter. <laughs> you guys before we get to the episode of course I gotta tell you about the pates you guys Patreon if you're looking for more laughter for five bucks a month you guys you get to hear us cover all of those series you want us to cover episode by episode so we're talking Tiger King Don't F with Cats mm-hmm. Lacey Peterson Menendez Murders OJ Simpson Madeline McCann girl bring us to the beginning of the catalog yeah Making a Murderer The Jinx uh, Serial Season 1 Madonna's Truth or Dare I always throw her in there because it's like a what um, all, all the series all the series it's a whole thing there's also ad free versions of these episodes tones, after parties, quarantine check-ins. You guys, it's so much content. You were going to be so sick of us. Also, like, <laughs> Zoom hangouts. That's a new thing Zoom we're hangs. doing. It's pretty cool. It's a BYO sitch, but, you know, we're yeah, still doing it. But we're still doing it. Happy hour. Um, you know where to find it, you guys. Patreon.com slash TrueComeObsessor or uh, go to our website. Click on the Patreon link. Um, You guys, one more major announcement. So I don't know if you've noticed, but our merch store has kind of been, like, down or sort of, like, not really around. Our merch store is back. And the most important thing you need to know... For for the foreseeable future, all of the proceeds from our merchandise is going to charities. Yep. So it's going to women's issues, LGBT issues, and charities to benefit the Black Lives Matters movement. Yeah, maybe some animals. Let's help some animals. Totally. It's, instead of just screaming about them, let's give them some. <laughs> That's how I feel about all this. I totally agree. You guys, go to the merch store. We've got a couple new designs, including Let the Women Do the Work and Give It a Goog. Old favorites are in there, too. You can even buy masks, which is a little bit morbid, but I'm going to get a bunch of them because I need them. Well, yeah, me too. And yeah, and, and if you don't have one, get one. It doesn't exactly. even have to be ours. Just wear a mask. <laughs> All right, girl, what are we talking about today? Killing Versace, the hunt for a serial killer. I didn't know. I got to tell you, like, I was alive when this happened. I did not know a lot about this. I knew it was super gay. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people watched the Ryan Murphy uh, series with that super hot Darren Chris guy. I did mm-hmm. not watch that. You guys, it's, it's a super sad one. I don't know what to tell you. Donatella does not get enough airtime for my liking. She gets zero. She We get a right. picture. But you know who's here, girl? You know who we see twice in video? Once in a video, once in a photo, Ms. Courtney Love, the third co-host of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, my God. There she is. A larger-than-life fashion icon. Johnny Versace was not for the faint of heart. And a wannabe celebrity. Everything he told everybody was probably a lie. With a deadly obsession. He was determined to be remembered and he was willing to kill for fame. A brazen murder that rocked the country. Broad daylight, steps of his home. Andrew just very boldly crossed the street, walked up right behind him and shot him. Versace was shot twice in the head at close range on the steps of his house in South Beach, Miami. You took somebody away at the height of their career at the height of their happiness, devastated a family. 
the culmination of a cross-country rampage. It was a very brutal killing. Many, many blows to the face and to the back of the head. It was very clear that Cunanan was a gay man killing gay men. Now, inside the demented mind of a serial killer. There was no way to predict what this man would do. Lots of questions. Why? He was good at lying. He was good at deception. He was good at hiding in plain sight. The massive manhunt. Incredible. Never had that much pressure on me, ever. And the frantic race to stop the bloodshed. The expectation was, yes, there will be another murder. So this is Oxygen, 10 minutes of coming up on. We got a quick hello from our, our host, Kate Snow. I'm Kate Snow. It's a case that stuns the nation. We go right back into another coming up on. I, I'm so <laughs> glad you say that because it felt like the coming up on. I was like, what are we? And so I have coming up on. Then I have a whole paragraph and then I have still coming up on. I, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> like we're still coming up on. Okay. Wait, between the coming up ons, I do want to say that our narrator, Kate Snow, is standing <gasps> outside in front of Gianni Versace's mansion. And she just, you guys, like, I'm so afraid that if I'm ever in a documentary, I'm going to be described as the part two of this part. Because she says, Gianni Versace and Andrew Cunanan couldn't have been more different. The first, a world-renowned fashion designer whose friends included Elton John, Madonna, and Princess Diana. The second, a deranged social climber whose delusional boasts involved exotic travel, money, and celebrity. Look, if the name deranged social climber has not been taken for somebody's autobiography, I'm taking it for mine. <laughs> With forward and annotations by... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> deranged social climber but this is a thing that comes up throughout this entire thing like it's 42 minutes long right 38 of those minutes is kate snow <laughs> doing comparisons between gianni versace one of the most famous and like richest people in the world and right. this serial killer we hear a hundred times like you know celebrity friends deranged social climber like that and i wrote down every every last comparison so shall we it's kind of unbelievable. I mean, she goes on and on about it. And I'm like, I get, like, I, I understand. I know they're different. But also, here's the thing. Here, the gag is, yeah. one's a serial killer and one isn't. Right. Like, that's, that's the big, right. like, the biggest comparison is that one of them is a murderer and I one know. is not. And just one more thing before we get started. They say a million times he's got all these famous friends. And every time they say it, they cut to this picture of Elton John wearing, like, a wind suit. And it looks ridiculous Elton John look Elton. Elton John's a celebrity I never need to meet it has nothing to do with the fact that all my life people have told me that I look like him guys it's not a compliment that's not a compliment you guys I don't think you look like Elton John when people say oh you look like Elton John or oh my god you look just like the lead singer of the bare naked ladies welcome to my college days or now sometimes I'll get here's a James Corden of podcasting they think it's a compliment girl okay we gotta talk about <laughs> some things and the people you choose to surround yourself with I know all right, we'll get to that later. We meet Gianni Versace's husband. They don't say husband because like back in 1997, you couldn't get married, but I'm saying husband. His name is Antonio... D'Amico. 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 Girl, it's D'Amico. Like, <laughs> the way you're... I saw those little wheels turning in your head. You were like, how do I say that? 
how do I say this one syllable word? <laughs> it's D'Amico. D apostrophe A M I C O. D'Amico. Antonio D'Amico. They say he's his life partner. Yeah, which I just hate that. They should be husbands. Gay marriage should always have been legal. So he tells us Johnny was a simple person, a normal person. I mean, he was walking on the street normally. You know, people recognize him and say, hello, Mr. Versace, how are you? Oh, good, good. Thank you. Ciao. He's like Albert from The Birdcage. (laughs) Where like Albert woke up early that day to get all the breakfast and they're like, oh, hello, Albert. And he's like, hello, darling. And he's like, ouf, les mignons. It's basically The Birdcage. If you guys don't know this life and this town, it's The Birdcage. But yet again, Kate Snow wastes no time because she's like, how would you compare Cunanan and Versace? Well, one was authentic and one was not. One was talented, recognized, beloved, versus another individual who spent much of his time trying to be accepted and creating and fashioning an image. He was fabulous. He was fun. Everyone loved him. Nothing like that Andrew Cunanan character. And I'm like, yeah, because one of them is a murderer right. and one isn't. Like, that's great. But then we meet Maureen Orth. No, 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 girl. We don't meet Maureen Orth. We are reacquainted with Maureen Orth. Maureen Orth, I can't what? remember which one she was in. I Maybe it was the Menendez one where she came dressed head to toe in like bright orange. In orange? Yes. And so, but Maureen Orth, yes, reacquainted with, obviously. Right. She's the author of Vulgar Favors. <laughs> And I'm like, what the what? And she's the author of, of a book about this case. But she's she also was Dateline's consultant when they covered this story. Yeah, I have like, not only are we being reacquainted with her, she's the Diane Diamond of this documentary. A hundred percent she is. <laughs> but not, we don't see her as much as we usually see it's Diane true. Diamond. Like Maureen kind of just like swoops in and swoops out. She's not really a talking, like Kate is our talking head here, our like main host. For sure. And then we meet Roman Jimenez. I have um, reporter Roman. Yeah, reporter. Reporter Roman, let's let's go with that. Reporter Roman is here and he's like, There were so many stories about who he was and where he came from that you just have to adopt the idea that everything he told everybody was probably a lie. Everything Andrew told everyone was a lie all right. the time. <laughs> So now we get the Andrew Cunanan backstory. So he was Filipino and Sicilian. Excuse me, girl. I'm Sicilian too. But he had like not a great childhood. His dad was Filipino and a total dick and was like really materialistic. And his mom was Sicilian. And like we hear from Maureen Orth, like she was kind of beaten down by his dad. And I'm like, his dad sounds like a goddamn nightmare. But somehow, like it's hard to do all the math and everything. Because I don't know how old Andrew Cunanan was when all this happened. He somehow found the strength to like be super out loud and proud with his friends like we meet his friend Stacy Lopez and she says like yeah he was totally out people knew that he was gay I mean he would talk about his boyfriends and I think he said that you know due to religious reasons he felt his family would not be as accepting. So now we're back to reporter Roman, who's got the line of the documentary girl. Oh, reporter Roman had this in his back pocket. He came into this interview knowing he was going to say this because reporter <laughs> reporter Roman, like, you know, he went to like the school where Cunanan like went and got the yearbook because he said to us, he was voted by his class to be most likely to be remembered. And I think it's fair to say he lived up to their expectations. I think it's fair to say he's lived up to their expectations. Okay. <laughs> Reporter Roman says a lot of good stuff later, but this is one of those that you're like, girl, you wrote that bit. You called your gay friends, sat down, had a writing sesh before you came in for this interview. Or some producer was like, you know, it would be great. Could you just say this? And like handed him an index card. I was <laughs> like, just say it. Shut up and say it. 
So now we get this whole bit about, I call this section, Andrew was a spoiled brat. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I like that. I like that. <laughs> we learned that, like, right around the time he was going to be going to college. Yet Andrew and his father, a stockbroker, share the same expensive tastes. The father had been accused of embezzling a lot of funds, which was really devastating to the family. He sold their house out from under them. He took the money and he went to the Philippines and completely abandoned them. What kind of dick who hates your family do you have to be to do that? You have to be a big old dick who hates your family. <laughs> and so that that is why I sort of, I reacted because I just love you and I think everything you say is funny. I'm like, that's hilarious. But I don't think he was a spoiled brat. Like, I don't think he had a lot and that's why he became. Yeah. I think that, that was part of his motivation because like there's part of it where I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like what is going on here? But like, then like Kunana gets on a plane to go find his dad. He like tracks his dad down in the Philippines. And the little princeling of a son followed him to the Philippines, but was horrified to find him living in some rundown motel. And Andrew came running back. And then Andrew's like, and turns that car around. He's like, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> Dad, you taught me well. You taught me to lie, steal, cheat my way up to the top. So I'm, I'm getting the hell out of here. And like, look, if there's one thing I fucking hate about people in the world, it's people with not a strong work ethic. I really, it, it really, mm. it makes, if I instill one thing into my daughter, it's that we work hard. Like, that's the thing I care the most about. Girl, if Daisy doesn't get that, then like, I don't know, man. I know. Every, everyone, <laughs> she, everyone she knows. Her yes. best friend, Mike, has the best work ethic. Yes. You, Steve, me, like, I know. if Daisy doesn't have a strong work ethic. We did it wrong. Because he comes back to the United States and like, it's like lie after lie he's telling people he's the son of a business magnate he's the son of a foreign diplomat and his friend Stacy is back to tell us like look he loved the finer things in life in terms of him doing a career so that he could do that for himself he made it very clear to me that th he had no interest in that. All he wanted in life was to find some rich old man right. or like rich old men to take care of him and foot the bill. That shit makes me fucking crazy girl. Because we learned from his dad. His dad was willing to do all that too. Yeah. So that's what his dad taught him. So in 1990, Andrew moves to San Francisco and he claims, he claims that he ran into Gianni Versace at this party. We get the dueling queens of Maureen Orth and Versace's husband. Maureen Orth is like, well, other people said it happened. Like they corroborated. And the husband is like, like, no way, girl. He claimed, and other people claimed, that Andrew met Versace. Absolutely not. I tell you, I never saw this guy. I know this is his husband, and I'm yeah. not trying to say anything bad, and he's been through a terrible thing in his life. But honestly, in 1990, where everyone in the world was trying to meet Versace, and this yeah. is even before he was like Versace, Versace, when everyone knew, but in San Francisco, in the gay scene, like everyone was trying to meet him, that Antonio, his husband, would be like, nope, like hands down, we never, never, ever, ever met him. I just think that's impossible. Come on, just say, I don't know, we could have met. I don't know, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you guys met or not. And, and that's the whole thing. It, do it doesn't fucking matter. It doesn't matter. It makes matter. no sense. Because then we learn that like Kunanan becomes instantly like obsessed with Versace and then turns on him. This is where we meet this like Dr. Watson character. I swear to God, you guys, his name is Dr. Watson. He's yeah. like a forensic psychologist. And he's explaining to us that like when there is an obsession for an individual, the person who holds the obsession doesn't view that person as a human or anything more than an object. And if they can't have that object, then they hate that object. And they have to and destroy, want to destroy it. the object. Now 
we're getting info on Versace and just like how fabulous he was and we meet this model Beverly Johnson who was like a supermodel Ooh. in like the 70s or whatever gorge which is like how are you a supermodel in the 70s when you look like you're 22 right now in 2017 when you like shot this interview I know and they kind of it's a disservice really the way they talk about her it's like model Beverly Johnson shot to fame in the early 70s appearing on more than 500 magazine covers and then it's like just a montage of all these magazine covers she was on until like yesterday and I'm like she's gorgeous like but what she's trying to say is like just about his fashion she's like you didn't wear a Johnny Versace dress or jumpsuit if you didn't want to be seen because when you put that on from the time you walk out of your door all eyes are on you People notice if you were wearing his clothes and I'm like, I know nothing about that scene. Like I Well the thing is, like, I only know really my, my best point of reference with Versace is Showgirls. When like she gets a right. Versace dress. Nice dress. Thanks. I bought it at Versace. Like that will live on in my brain for forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right. but like when you see the clothes, you're kind of like, oh right. Like they were super sexy to the point of like being like almost too much, you know? Right. And so like that I think like that's what she means. But and she's saying, like, you know, like you wouldn't wear it if you didn't want to be looked at. Like you walk out onto the street and like everyone's looking at you. So we learn that Gianni like works alongside his brother, Santo, and his sister, Donatella. Yeah. And they build this fashion empire. And that's the last we hear or see of Donatella. I could not stop thinking about that scene in Devil Wears Prada where it's a hurricane in Miami and Miranda is trying to get out and Andy is like, <laughs> Call Donatella. <laughs> and Andy's like, There are no planes. There's no planes. And she goes, Call Donatella. Get her jet. <laughs> what does she say? It's like, Oh, it's just a drizzle. Please. It's just, I don't know, drizzling. Right. <laughs> But we learn that like right before his death, he was at the top of his game. His best friends are like Princess Diana and Elton John in that fucking windsuit again. I can't. I can't. It's like he's I going know. jogging on like the local high school track with that. I can't stand it. Whatever. He did Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatters. Let him run in the suit. <laughs> Let Elton do what he's going to do. Fine. But we meet like Robin Given, this Washington Post fashion critic. He was really one of the earliest designers who was in the position to take a business that had started as a family business and transforming it into a public international entity. By contrast, Andrew Cunanan's life is anything but self-made. Like Gianni was so big time and famous and Andrew's life was anything but <laughs> self-made. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure they're different. But again, I say one of them is a murderer. Right. And one of them isn't. <laughs> But, like, also, like, this Andrew Cunanan character is just, like, the worst kind of gay or, like, the worst kind of person to me, which is, like, again, we get this whole thing. He moves to San Diego. The only way he can, like, get things is through relationships with rich older men. And so he's in San Diego for a while. He has this, like, much older boyfriend. They break up because this guy won't buy him a Mercedes girl. He's kept by this really rich guy, Norman Blatchford, who gives him an infinity to drive around. But although Blotchford is paying the bills, Cunanan is unsatisfied. He tells Norman that unless he can have a Mercedes, he's going to walk out. And Norman says, OK, go ahead, which stunned him. So that took away a big piece of his income. So he decides he's got to, like, get out of town. We are told that he hosts a goodbye dinner for himself, which that, again, I watched this twice. It made me laugh so hard both times. I was like, this guy is such a dick that he couldn't even get his friends to take him out for dinner. He had to throw himself a going away party. But he's like, I'm going to Minneapolis to uh, right. settle. <laughs> a uh, business matter. His friends are idiots. Nobody asked a question. Girl, if I was like, girl, I got, I'm leaving. I'm throwing myself a going away dinner. <laughs> 
I'm throwing myself a goodbye party and I can't tell you why. I just have to yeah. go settle a matter. I'll never see any of you again and nobody asked a question? No. In Minneapolis, he contacts this Navy lieutenant that he knows from San Diego. This guy's name is Jeffrey Trail. And we're told that like he wanted to date Jeffrey Trail, but Jeffrey Trail just wanted to be friends. Yeah, also at the same time, Andrew tracks down his ex-boyfriend, David Madsen. Who they want us to know as an architect. Good for you, David. Great. And also like, <laughs> you know, he's a victim, so yeah, I great. Tell the story. Yeah. This is where it gets kind of confusing. So Cunanan was afraid that Jeffrey and David, who we have no reason to believe even know each other, are dating. I said that too. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> This is where it gets confusing. So Andrew calls Jeffrey, the Navy lieutenant, and says, hey, I'm at David, the architect's apartment. Come hang out with me. And so it's April 27th, 1997. Jeffrey Trail agrees to go over to the apartment. And reporter Ronan gives this really awful and sort of graphic description of like, within seconds of opening the door, finds a hammer on the side of his head. And that was the end of Jeffrey Trail. Cut to all these like graphic, horrible blood splatter pictures of like blood just everywhere. Reporter Roman was like, it was really brutal. Like he bashed him on the skull. He bashed him in the face. Like he just destroyed this guy. Oh, oh. And then our friend Maureen Orth, as if like reporter Roman wasn't bad enough with his description. It was a very brutal, personalized kind of killing many blows to the face and to the back of the head. Then she does like the hammer motion. Maureen, we get it. She, she's like, it's very personal <laughs> as she's doing like the ice pick move and I'm like, Maureen, I'm offended by it, this. Maureen. I'm clutching my pearls. I'm scandalized. So like David Madsen, the one that was killed with the hammer, he gets wrapped up in the carpet and then like Cunanan like beats it. He just gets out of there. And my big question is, where's the architect? Like, so this murder happened at the architect's apartment but we don't know where the architect is. So the lieutenant's friend reports him missing. The cops go to this architect's apartment because they know that that's where he last was. I guess they find the body of the lieutenant. We don't know for sure. Then, six days later, on May 3rd, Madsen's body is discovered at this lake outside the city shot three times. This was back before these shows did like 16 parts. That w happened way too fast for me. Yeah, because it's like six days later, police find David's body in a lake outside the city. He was shot three times. And I'm like, oh. I know. Kay. Can I get more information on that? No, I guess not. Okay. We're trying to tell a story to our <laughs> listeners, girl. <laughs> but like, so this, the whole point is that like Cunanan is the only suspect. Like cops have connected Cunanan to this immediately. He's the only suspect and he's like nowhere in sight. This is where it starts, where it's like they just cannot get their hands on him for lack of a better yeah. term. Like, they cannot track this guy down. And we say this all the time. He's just yeah. bad at it. But the cops are equally, if not worse, they're just bad at it too. They're bad. And there's like so many things working against it, but like sort of that makes it work in Cunanan's favor. So like reporter Roman is saying like, when we were covering this story, it was very clear that Cunanan was a gay man killing gay men. Initially, there was a sense, I believe, of trying to be culturally sensitive. And we appreciated that but they were missing a key part of the story that may have identified who his victim patterns were intended to be and the gay community needed to know. By not saying this, we're not telling the gay community that they need to be on the fucking lookout, girl. Like, there's a crazy totally. gay man out there killing other gay guys. And we also just didn't have the benefit of social media. Like, the world was just so different then. Right, they totally nailed this into the ground. I know they're different. One's a murderer, right. one's not. But eventually, it's like, okay, well, it's not the 1700s. Right. I know they didn't have, like, we, st we still got murderers back in the 90s, right. you guys, right? Like... <laughs> 
they're they're still like all these people are sitting here today being like well it was a different time it was just we didn't know how to do you know it was the gay and we didn't know and we couldn't do it and i'm like wait hold on a second it's just a thing that we forget that like there used to be a time when things like this took time you know like now his face would be all over social media all over twitter all over instagram like fucking gay twitter would have found this guy in five seconds you know oh gay twitter please i i mean forget it and gay instagram you could tweet like here's his name gay twitter do your thing and they would and like we'd get a conviction like that's the world we live in now and i get that it's different but it's not like you guys had like nothing to work with but you guys this guy is on the run for days and then like ends up in south beach for a month before he kills versace let's get to it so we find out that kunanan takes madsen the architect he takes his jeep and he like drives to chicago right and so he's on the run and he takes like this cherokee and then he drives to the home of the 72 year old lee Maglin. yeah and he's like this wealthy real estate guy and he just like attacks him in his garage and you guys this is so disgusting and so like trigger or warning the wealthy businessman is attacked in his garage where his throat is cut with a gardening saw cracked his ribs stabbed multiple times stabbed multiple times with a screwdriver yep and his feet were bound with electrical tape and all of his ribs had been broken because andrew had backed up over him with the car it's so fucking brutal and the people like the local newscasters are very cavalier about it to this day like we get them like two camera today and it's like well he ran over him with the car and he just and i'm like you guys are too new england for my liking and then we find out like the local cops at the time tell us like whomever was in the home had helped themselves to some food in the refrigerator some ham some ice cream they had gone upstairs and shaved and had stolen some clothes from Lee. Whoever had done this had also eaten the guy's ham and his ice cream. Helped himself to ham and ice cream. He gave himself a shave. I know. He stole clothes. <laughs> he stole gold coins and he stole the Lexus. I know. But you know, this ends up being a bad idea. So, and the cops are telling us like, look, this guy Kunan is moving really fucking fast. Like he's just like going city to city, murdering people and stealing their cars. And he's going quicker than we can keep up with. But stealing this like super fancy pants Lexus in 1997 ends up being a really bad idea. Still, police are able to trace the path of Cunanan's flight based on the pings received on cell phone towers from the built-in car phone in Miglin's Lexus. Law enforcement releases this news to the media, forcing Cunanan to change course. Children, gather around. There was a time in like 97 before people had cell phones in their pockets. People actually had phones in their cars. I remember Mm -hmm. in middle school knowing like super rich kids whose parents had car phones. And that's what this Lexus had. And that's how they're tracking Cunanan. He knew that they were following him because it was on the news. I mean, it's it's that thing where like, can you imagine a world where there's just a deranged serial killer just on the run? No. We know he's out there, but we don't know where he is. It's insane. Because usually I'd say I didn't live in the 70s. But this is the early 90s, early to late 90s. And I'm like, what? So he's traveling. He knows they're tracking him. He makes a detour into a cemetery in this town called Pennsville, New Jersey. Using a gun stolen from Jeffrey Trail, he leads caretaker William Reese into the basement, kills him execution style, and flees in his truck. And it's 
just to seal the car. Like, yeah. it's just for that. And then, like, if you guys were wondering, like, well, maybe there's a reason. Maybe something happened. Like, it made him a killer. No, this guy's just a fucking murderer. Like, yeah. he's just a serial killer. Yeah. He could have just, like, kicked this guy and said, I'm going to take your car. Like, okay. He was, like, an old guy. He was a caretaker. He could have just, like, right. ran off with the car. But the idea that he, like, went down into the basement to do, like, an execution. Like, this guy wants to kill. Exactly. You know? And so, now we learn that he's heading to Florida. And we learn that Florida is, like, of course. Of course. We learn that Florida is like more than a thousand miles away. This is where Kate Snow sits down with this journalist and she's like, how did he make it from New Jersey to Miami without being picked up? Back in the 90s, we don't have the type of technology we have today where there's a camera looking at you taking your picture while you're driving the car. And then there's a camera in the back taking a picture of you when you drive through of your license plate. She basically says it was a serial killer's playground back then, girl. We just had no way of tracking them. Right. But like, again, it wasn't the 1870s. It was the 1990s. And the point they're saying is like, we are watched, whether you know it or not, girl, every step of the day. And then this other insane thing happens where he like pulls off the highway in North Carolina and goes to a Walmart parking lot. He pulled over at some point in a Walmart parking lot and he changed the license plates. And the guy who he stole the plates from thought that they had dropped off or something and never bothered to, to say that they were stolen. About this, like, how do people on the run not do this all the time? Like, he's in a stolen car, you guys. He's in this guy's stolen Lexus. So, if any cop scans the plates, it's gonna come up immediately. So, Kunanan goes to a Walmart where he just like switches the license plate. I don't know why that doesn't happen all the time. Some guy is like in Walmart, like yeah. shopping. Kunanan like takes the license plates off. This person comes out and he just goes, huh. Right. He just <laughs> looks at his car and just assumes, according to Maureen Orth, assumes that both of his license plates <laughs> fell off at the same time because like the universe willed it so and it yeah. was like I'm not gonna report it but he like actively doesn't report it and that's the thing he's just he's just like that's weird I'm just gonna be okay with that being weird in my mind I'm like until this very day in 2017 when you gave this interview you've been driving around with no license plates no I think he like drove to the local mechanic and was like you the funniest thing Bill I came out of Walmart but would you would you believe it both of my license plates flew off at the same exact time. But here's my thing though. Like, okay, guys, not to go like too crazy. Like, I know we've got bigger fish to fry here, but like if a person's license plates go missing, there should be an <laughs> endless amount of paperwork because obviously it's a serial killer who stole your license plates. I don't understand how he can just go see his pal Bill, the mechanic, and get new license plates. How do But you gotta report it. He chose to not report it. So like he just said, I'm not gonna report it. But okay, again, I know we've got bigger fish to fry. How did he get new license plates? Because Bill was like, or whoever. <laughs> I don't know. The DMV. I don't own a car, girl. I don't know. I've never had a car. I'm a New Yorker. I don't know about any of this. But I, yeah, I agree with you. I think if you say my license plates got lost. Right. <laughs> they're off my car. I don't and I don't know how or why. Someone someone behind the screen should say what happened. <laughs> Because, again, I know we've got bigger fish to fry. But if you've lost your license plates, I want the FBI. I want 450 cops finding those license plates. Because if they don't, a serial killer's gonna Uh switch them on the car and then not get caught. And then kill Gianni Versace. It's ridiculous. But he was like, I didn't. didn't I just, right. I don't. It's a good thing I wasn't conducting the interview with him because it would have gotten real high pitched real fast. So Kunanan arrives in Miami Beach on May 11th, 1997. And we get this like talking head saying that like, Kunanan arrives in Miami Beach on May 11th. Police are never alerted he might be headed their way. We should have known, uh, but we didn't. 
the FBI leads went as far south as West Palm Beach. The FBI knew that he might be in the area, but nobody told the local cops. Again, I think that comes down to gay shit. Yeah, and this is a whole ton of back and forth about like the local cops and the FBI and no one's telling anybody. And I think I agree with you. I think it's all about gay shit. <laughs> we see Versace's mansion, this mansion that he bought. Girl, I think it is oh. so ugly. It's ugly. It's just not my taste. It's gaudy. Yeah, it's very gaudy. I think it is so ugly. But like, it's very fancy. It's very rich. And then we learn, of course, in by comparison, less than six miles north, Cunanan is staying at this like flea bag motel less than six miles north of versace's opulent south beach mansion andrew cunanan takes up residence at the dilapidated normandy plaza hotel marilyn monroe was once rumored to have been a guest something hard to imagine in its current state it's been rumored that marilyn monroe stayed there but it can't be confirmed then don't say it what do you yeah. then don't say it because the place really is a dump like we see the inside of it it looks really gross and we're learning that like cunanan is there i guess he had some money he's burning through the cash that he has and maureen orth wants us to know that he had to start turning tricks to fuel his diet of submarine sandwiches and drugs girl i have never wanted a submarine sandwich more than the second time i watched this and i had to hear her say the word submarine sandwich you know my note said who wrote that copy <laughs> submarine sandwiches <laughs> turning tricks like what are you saying it's a hero right. number one or it's like a big sandwich but turning tricks i know do we really want this to be in the 1800s like what are you talking about <laughs> for submarine sandwiches what are you saying i know, I know. <laughs> You know who wrote that copy? Maureen Orth, born in 1804. Right. And she's like, Tim, shut right. up. I'm reading this. <laughs> but then it's like, I know he was living in a shithole, but they want us to know, like, he was surrounded by Vogue and fancy magazines. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. It's really ridiculous. And then, like, we learn that, like, the news is covering it, every, his story every single day because there's a fucking serial killer on the loose. And Dr. Watson is like, girl, of course he was, like, watching the news. Like, he's a narcissist. Of course he was. Right. I just love that he really did love big sandwiches because they <laughs> have some. You can't say summary sandwiches. You can't say I won't. That. I can't and I won't. Big because it's, it's called a hero. It's called a hero. But someone spots him at, quote, Miami Subs, his favorite spot. And they call 911 because it's like a national manhunt for this guy. The employee called 911 and told the operator that he saw someone that looks like someone he saw in America's Most Wanted. I saw his face and I automatic, automatically recognized him from America's Most Wanted. The officers were there within eight minutes of the call. But by the time police arrive on the scene, the man, if it's Cunanan, is gone. So, all right, it's July 15th, 1997. So Gianni Versace always would like wake up early in the morning and usually he and his husband would walk to a local cafe to buy newspapers. And his husband now is telling us that like he didn't go that morning. Gianni got up really early and you know, he like gets the newspapers and he's walking home and he's like on the front steps of his mansion and Maureen Orth tells us that like, Andrew just very boldly crossed the street, walked up right behind him and shot him in the head. 8.45 in the morning. Yeah. Eight, if you really think of 8.45 in the morning, that's crazy. Walks right up behind him and shoots him twice in the head. And then runs away. And then we, we get this whole chase scene. As the couple's chef calls for help, a friend runs after the shooter. He was actively chasing him until he saw a firearm, then he backed off. At that point, the suspect runs into a parking garage. He goes to the roof of the parking garage, he looks around, 
That's a pretty good bird's eye view. A friend of Versace's like sees Cunanan and follows him like into a parking garage. And like the chef calls 911 uh, and I'm like, oh my God, they're so fucking rich. The chef calls I know, 911. I know. And that's no shade. That's no shade at all. But it's just like the idea of, again, it's very different lives. Like yeah. the chef calls 911 when this asshole like shot this guy. Yeah. And so the friend of Versace follows him into this parking garage and we learn that like even though the cops randomly were all in the area of this parking garage and sort of had it surrounded fucking Cunanan like keeps us cool Maureen Orth wants us to know he doesn't panic it wasn't me because I'd be losing my goddamn mind and right. he like on the sly like walks out of the parking garage and gets in a cab and just gets away the cops are like I just want you guys to know we didn't plan to be there right. we just happened to be there and we fucked it up real hard right. like I don't know why the cops want us to know that they just happened to be there and they right. could have saved the day so we get like again like none of the cops have been warned that this Kunana guy is in the neighborhood so like they don't know that it's him and then our lead detective friend says like look at 12 30 an fbi agent approaches me he thought in his mind this could be Kunanan. so uh we compared the ballistics and they were consistent with other homicides and then he mentioned the last homicide of mr william reese and the red pickup truck and it clicked. Girl, in that parking garage that we are now surveilling, isn't there a red pickup truck that looks really super fucking suspicious? Because we were processing a parking garage scene with a red pickup that looks suspicious because it had clothing on the outside of it, like somebody had changed. Not only like is this red pickup truck there, there's clothes like next to it as though like somebody like super on the fly like changed clothes next to this red pickup truck. And so they look at the VIN number of the car or whatever and it matches the car. So like they are able to identify in this moment that Andrew Cunanan is the guy who just did this to Gianni Versace. It's crazy. Right. And the idea like in the morning, like he just I like know. lost himself. And I'm not saying that in any way like I have any sympathy for this guy. Yeah. But just like he just didn't give a fuck like at 8.45 in the morning to just like gun down down someone on the steps of their home. I know. And like, this is where we learn like all of the things that like the police didn't do. And again, it was a different time, but we learn about this pawn shop owner. Remember, like Andrew Cunanan is a name that the country knew at the time before Gianni Versace died because he was right. a wanted serial killer that was on the run. The owner of the pawn shop tells us that she has a pawn slip with Andrew Cunanan's name on it. The pawn shop sent that information to the Miami Beach Police Department on July 8th, a week before Gianni Versace's killing. The slip ended up in a pile of pawn slips that no one looked at until after the murder. And the cops are like, well, you know, this is 1997. We didn't have the technology. Right. And I'm like, it's not 1897. Right. <laughs> I mean, it is that thing where, like, you know, like, are they ever allowed to say, like, yeah, we missed it. Like, that sucks. We should have seen it. You know what I mean? Like, look, I would love that. And so this is where we see that, like, you know, now that they know that it was Andrew Cunanan, and his face is everywhere. And there's like there's a serial killer on the loose in Miami. And the thing about Cunanan, remember, he's half Filipino, half Italian. He wears glasses. He's got long hair. He's got short hair. Everybody thought they saw Cunanan. And that constantly changing chameleon like face with the glasses, without the glasses, with a different hairstyle, gave everybody an idea that I think I saw him. Better call the cops. Like, you know how they say Ted Bunny could change his look and all he did was change his part but he looked like the same guy? Right. We see these pictures of Andrew Cunanan and he really can change his appearance. And he is a pathological liar. He will just talk to you and just say he will put on an accent. Yeah. And I can't imagine the terror I would be feeling if I was like a resident right. of Miami knowing that this like serial killer is like on the loose in my town. Like at the gay bars? I know. Like he's like trying to like find his next sugar daddy? Right. So you 
you guys, it's been over a week and Miami Beach is on lockdown. Miami Beach is a unique place surrounded by water. If you're in a vehicle, it's hard to get out of the city if we lock it down. And we did. The way they explain the geography of Miami Beach is that, like, it's kind of, I don't really understand it. My vast knowledge of Miami comes from my viewing of the Golden Girls. And the birdcage. And the birdcage, yeah, exactly. And so they know that they're going to get them eventually. Nobody can really get in or out. And so it's July 23rd. It's eight days after the shooting. And this caretaker of this houseboat drops by the property that he's supposed to be taking care of. He hasn't been there in a couple days. And some shit is really weird. And he noticed a couple of things. Curtains were drawn, the light was on, so he went and he drew his revolver, he was armed, and uh, as soon as he drew his revolver, he heard a shot. Can we take a pause for one second and say like, my understanding of houseboats is that it's like a seaworthy vessel that you also live on as a house. Because when you see like the aerial thing of this, it looks like Chelsea Piers. It looks like a garage. Like it does not look like a thing you could sail to Venezuela if you wanted to. It looks like very much attached to the shore. And I think girl, that's, we are city hicks in this moment. We have to own it. So the guy draws his revolver. He calls the cops and we get detective George Navarro who's like been spearheading this whole thing. I immediately just felt this this is him we had a few leads in that area other sightings of him and i thought to myself what a perfect place to hide a lot of those houseboats are just seasonal so there's this whole thing where like there's this standoff all day where they're trying to call him and then they're shooting tear gas into the boat and i'm like was i the only one paying attention when the caretaker was like i heard a gunshot inside the house yeah i didn't want to think the worst It made me really confused because, like, he was a piece of shit. And so when I hear, like, a gunshot and then it's like they tried to call the houseboat and they were like, he wouldn't pick up. So then they throw tear gas into the boat, eight canisters of it, and we see video of this. I'm just, like, watching all of this and I feel like it's going on for 15 hours. I'm like, guys, he's dead. Like, we heard the gunshot. Like, he's dead in there. So they storm the boat and they go in and they just sort of, like, find what we know they're going to find. They find the dead body of an adult male. Detectives confirm it's the man they've been looking for, Andrew Cunanan. Same gun he used to uh, kill Madsen and uh, Versace and uh, Mr. Reese. He, he turned it on himself, yeah. He, he uh, put it in his mouth and pulled the trigger. The thing is, like, it ends with 15 minutes of, like, Clarence Watson, your best friend. Just, like, everyone's like, so we know nothing about him. Would you like to speculate? And they're like, <laughs> well, fine. So it's it's a bit of speculation, but do you think, in your professional opinion, that he has the mark of a psychopath? We would need to know more about his motivations, but on the surface, it's easy to see why someone would think this is a psychopath. But what it does appear is that he was a man who had some very significant emotional problems. And then we see the funeral. We see like Versace's funeral. It's so sad because we see his husband like in the front row. You can see on the video and now he's saying to us like today. I don't remember much actually because I was I was in my world just thinking about Johnny and I didn't see much actually. Maybe I start to realize a week later how much I lost. Yeah, and he's heart like he can't even really get the words out. He's heartbroken and it's it's so sad. It kind of ends with the idea of like, you know, was he a psychopath or a sociopath? Like we'll never really know. They say and this was kind of chilling to me. Like there's no accident that there was no suicide note. No note. No explanation. No diary. Nothing. Why would he do that? Why would he leave a note? 
He never let anyone in. He never told anyone who he really was. Writing a suicide note would be telling people who he was. And also he like wanted the world to remember him by like being a mystery. And so we are officially part of the problem, girl. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, yikes. <laughs> We did. I can't even remember the name of it. It's called Killing Versace. The Hunt for a Serial Killer. The Hunt for a Serial Killer. We finished it, girl. Well, you guys, just a reminder, if you're looking for more laughter, check us out on the Patreon. It's like over 140 full bonus episodes to download a binge right this second. It's where we do our series. So we finished up... Um, Tiger King. We finished up Tiger King, and we did Donut with Cats, and Making a Murderer, and Serial Staircase, Lorena, The Jinx. We're into McMillions at this point, girl. Characters. I mean, for days, for days. <laughs> I mean, Snook, like, like future Snooky is there. Future Snooky, I love her. I mean, I hate her, but you know, I do, yeah. I like seeing her. Girl, what are we doing next? We are doing Thirteenth. Yes, girl. So this is a documentary that's been on Netflix for a while, like a little while now, mm -hmm. but it's gotten a big like resurgence in the wake of the George Floyd murder and the Black Lives Matter protest. So it's super timely. It's like, I mean, describe it. Yeah, it was a learning experience. It's just an education, and it's a really, really, really well done documentary, but there's a lot to learn and get ready to feel uncomfortable and angry, everybody. Here yeah, we go. Yeah. Fun. Let's do this. Get ready to find out that you were on the wrong side of history with things you thought you were on the right side of history about. Like a lot. <laughs> of, and I'm, I'm super here for it. Totally. Couldn't be more here. To be totally honest with you, I'm excited about totally. it. Totally. Let's do this. Girl, where can they find us? They can find us at truecrimeobsessed.com. That has your episodes, your promo codes, the merch, all that good stuff. The calendar, what's coming up next. They can find you at Jillian with a G on all the things. Yes, and you are Patrick Hines underscore on Instagram and at Patrick Hines on Twitter. We're also True Crime Obsessed Podcast on the Instagram. Check us out there. We do stories and stuff all the time. We're going live a lot. Come hang out with us on Instagram. Yep. Um, so you guys, stay tuned for the trailer for the 13th and our mm -hmm. like hilarious and ridiculous outtakes from this episode. Girl, yep. I mean, my God, it's Versace. Get ready, you guys. I mean, Versace? Ver Versace. We've been Versace. over this. Yeah. Versace's. Versace's. Got it. Rhymes with Scorsese. Got it. I exactly. Got it. Um, and we love you, you guys. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks. Bye. One out of four human beings with their hands on bars, shackled in the world, are locked up here in the land of the free. Khalif Browder was walking home from a party when he was stopped by police. Then they said, we're going to take you to the precinct, and most likely we're going to let you go home. And then I never went home. 13th Amendment to the Constitution makes it unconstitutional for someone to be held as a slave. There are exceptions, including criminals. The loophole was immediately exploited. What you got after that was a rapid transition to a mythology of black criminality. Some people got the real problem. Animals, beasts that needed to be controlled. You better believe it. Only human. It became virtually impossible for a politician to run and appear soft on crime. The kinds of kids that are called super predators. Millions of dollars will be allocated for prison and jail facilities. Three strikes and you are out. It was an enormous burden on the black community, but it also violated a sense of core fairness. Some people got the real 
states were required to keep these prisons filled, even if nobody was committing a crime. It's so difficult to talk about mass incarceration because it has become heavily monetized. The focus is on taking people from prison, putting them in community corrections, parole and probation. How much progress is it really if now there's a private company making money off the GPS monitor? We now have more African Americans under criminal supervision than all the slaves back in the 1850s. We are the products of the history that our ancestors chose. Products of that set of choices that we have to understand in order to escape from it. I gotta tell you, my friend uh, Corey Love has a younger sister named Courtney. It's her real name. Her real name is Courtney Love. <laughs> and she hasn't changed it yet. Interesting. And she hasn't. No, you get that reservation, girl. The way we are obsessed with things is not right. the way this person. <laughs> We're obsessed in the fun, drunk way. But like the real, the real term, like in, in like a textbook, like right. a scientist, like someone who actually knows their shit would probably look at our podcast and be like, you guys aren't obsessed. You just want to talk about it. But like true crime want to talk about it. Didn't like that domain name was probably taken or something or like it was too long. <laughs> True Crime Obsessed is a great name for a podcast, but it tells you absolutely nothing about what the podcast is. It tells you absolutely nothing. Like, to th- th- then listen and find out, like, this is a comedy podcast where we recap true crime documentaries. Like, what? It's a great name for a podcast, but it gives you no information. We have 30,000 people in the Facebook group. 29,000 of them are confused on a daily basis. <laughs> and we are it's- two of those people. It's a good thing I wasn't conducting the interview with him because it would have gotten real high-pitched real fast. And he would have just hung up. I would have screamed, you have Gianni Versace's blood on your hands. How do you feel about that? He would have he also said, what's a podcast? <laughs> and who's Gianni Versace? <laughs> 